Welcome, everybody. This is Cheryl Cran, uh, the regular host of Next Mapping, the vlog, as well as the podcast. And today I'm really excited because our guest is Hamoon, uh, the CEO of Audacious Futures. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Hamoon. But before I do, Hamoon, welcome. Thank you so much for doing this interview. Thank you very, <clears throat> thank you very much. And thank you for having me. Uh, excited to be here. Wonderful. So let's uh, hear a little bit. Let me introduce you and then we can hear more about what you have to say about the future. Uh, Hamoon is a lover of all things blueberry and or avocado. Yes, me too. So there you go. <laughs> Hamoon is the founder and CEO of Audacious Futures, a global launchpad for audacious innovation. Previously, he was the director of strategy and innovation for the executive vice president at TELUS. Prior to that, Hamoon was the founding director of Studio Y, a leadership and innovation academy at Mars, Canada's largest innovation hub. He's also founded a social enterprise, which raised a million dollars in the first year, helped build Deloitte's consulting business in the Caribbean, and taught as an adjunct faculty. Hamoon is a member of the Governor General's Canadian Leadership Conference, an ADR fellow at University of Cambridge, a recipient of University of Waterloo's Alumni Achievement Medal, and a Canada Millennium Scholar. Gosh, I, that's a lot to say. He's passionate about unlocking the potential of people, organizations, and societies to reimagine and build the future. And that was why I was so excited to talk with you, Hamoon. So thank you again for joining us. Thank you very much. So let's get right into it. So as CEO of Audacious Futures, can you tell us a little bit more about what your company does? And, you know, when I read your biography and your background, I'm sure there's a story about how where you were has led you to where you are. So I think for our listeners, we'd love to hear more about that journey. Yeah. Sure, happy to. <clears throat> so Audacious Futures is essentially, uh, as you mentioned, an innovation launchpad. Our work uh, goes all the way from looking for and finding audacious ideas that reimagine to the future to designing, building, and growing them over time. We do that both with partners and directly ourselves. And so it runs the full innovation spectrum all the way from discovery to design to, to growth and scale. Um, and in terms of your question of how I got to where I am, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I often say I'm a math guy by background, um, and so I started as a kid who loved math and loved solving for X uh, in, an, in a math equation. That X then became a business problem when I was a consultant uh, and worked at Deloitte. It then became, the more interesting X became societal problems, and so I spent a number of years working on those. And then, you know, most recently, I'm bringing all of those together. It, essentially, all of those were about a simple question seemingly simple question of how do we think about and build a better future mm. and so my you know that's what brought me to audacious futures and this obsession with learning about and finding ways of designing and creating radically better futures whether it's for individuals for organizations or for societies that's just so inspiring and i really um it really jazzes me because of course you know i'm all about the future of work and the same thing so we're on the same trajectory, although uh, different angles of getting there. So can you give an example of some of the innovations you've been involved in? Because I think that, you know, right away when you said the innovations, my mind went to, let me hear a little bit more about some of these innovations that you've been involved sure. with. Sure, happy to. So, uh, you know, often we partner with organizations who are interested in bringing innovations to life. So for example, we've done quite a bit of work uh, with the Royal Bank of 
Canada partnering with them as they invest $500 million over the next 10 years to prepare young people for the future of work. Uh, so that's been a space, obviously, as, as you spend quite a bit of time in, uh, we have as well. Uh, we have, uh, over the last six months or so, been building a venture called Audacious U which helps people prepare for this new world of work. Uh, and it helps you upskill and reskill based on the stage you're at and where you want to go. This, this premise of a Google Maps for the future of work okay. uh, and learning. So that's another example. We've been deep with a partner organization on rethinking and reimagining hiring. What would it look like to totally yes. redesign hiring from the ground up? So mm -hmm. we've done work in that space. We've done a couple of projects around future of philanthropy and how that's changing. Uh, and quite a bit of focus recently on emerging technology and their humanity implications. So when you think AI, when you think blockchain, VR, and some of these other technologies, what are the implications for society and for us as individuals over the coming years? So those are some of the examples of the projects we've been involved in. I, I, I just love it because, you know, from my perspective of creating the future, I mean, you know, next mapping is all about mapping the future and creating it, and we're not victims of the future. So people get afraid when they hear robotics and AI and blockchain and VR. They're like, you know, a lot of people, in spe specifically in traditional industries, you know, I right. do a, a fair amount of work in finance, uh, agriculture, but as well as technology. So from your perspective, like, how do you see the future? Well, you know, you and I can talk philosophically around, you know, we see the world being a better place in the future, but, but what are some of the you know, further to what you said about innovating for the future, what are some of the things you see can happen for the future with what, what you're doing with your company? Yeah, and I think it is very practical in a lot of ways and very mm -hmm. real in that that question of the future, while it can get theoretical, it is yeah. the real question that every parent, every family, every child, every young person is thinking about. They're thinking about it in the context of their individual lives. And I think we would benefit all of us when we're talking to your point about these big technologies and the fears of them to bring it back to that day-to-day -day reality. Mm -hmm. And so for me, I think it's what I often think about is if it is that practical and real for anybody, then how do we make our work equally so? So, um, and, and so for us, it's often that bridging of the gap between, yes, we do dig deep into the research and the data about the trends and the technologies that promise to change the world and they do every decade and mm -hmm. always under deliver. Uh, what, does that mean, what does that mean when uh, we build solutions so that they're actually something somebody can use on the ground? So uh, for us, I think the couple of big themes are, one is, the predictability of the world isn't the same. Mm -hmm. And so whether my job, whether my education, whether my health, whether my, my financials, the level of predictability just isn't as it used to be. Mm -hmm. Yet, most of the ways we've learned to cope with life uh, is rooted in an assumption of predictability. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so I think for, for me, one of the biggest themes is how do we all, just as individuals going through life, find new ways of rather than assuming predictability, embracing complexity, and then finding ways of still navigating into the kind of future we want without having to be stuck to a single scenario of what's going to happen tomorrow. Right. And I, I just love the language you used around that because, you know, from my, you know, my interpretation of that is we have built a society that's built on, um, I like your choice of predictable, but, but sort of comfort zone, status quo. You know, if I know or I can sort of you know, say that it's going to be the same, then there's some level of comfort there. And I think what you're doing with Audacious You and with your company is, is exactly shaking that up. And as me as well to say, 
you know, when you say we're all looking at the future, some people go, well, you know, be mindful of the now and be here now, right? I hear that a lot. And it's like, well, the future of work is now. Every yeah. step we take now is leading and creating us to that future. So I loved your words of predictability versus complexity and how, uh, that's how I see what we do too at Next Mapping is preparing people for further and further ambiguity and complexity. And that requires a new way of thinking. Absolutely. And, and a new way of being. So my next question for you then is, do you see the future as more collaborative and why? You know, what, what are your thoughts around that? Uh, there's an African proverb we use in our work quite a bit, uh, Cheryl, and it's, uh, it, it, it says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. Mm. Uh, and the immediate reaction often to, to a statement like that is because it ends with go together, that people's quick perception is, oh, so it, it is suggesting that being together and in community and working together is the way and the path to the future. I have a bit of a different take on it. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it gives you options and it gives you guidance on what you should do depending on the context. So okay. if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And I think at the intersection of those two things in this new world of constant change is where perhaps the best option sits. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is, I think one extreme is all of us together trying to do one thing is we're not actually going to move forward, whether that's in an organization, whether it's like in a community, mm -hmm. each of us individually trying to do everything isn't going to quite get us there either. Mm -hmm. And so I think at the intersection of those two are these, you want to call them SWAT teams or fast forming, fast uh, uh, kind of falling apart groups and teams that mm -hmm. come together around a common purpose with clarity of roles, just like you would have on a sports team, go after that mission, score that goal, and then move to the next mission. So this idea of challenge-based or mission-based world of work is one that I uh, am most attracted to. I think in terms of forms of collaboration and types and levels of collaboration, it depends on the mission. Uh, and they're right. different, best fit for different missions that, that in terms of how we come together. Sometimes you need a whole army. Sometimes you just need the Navy SEALs to go in overnight and get the job done. Yeah, that's really good. I love your analogies. I mean, from a, uh, you know, a lot of what you're describing sounds a little bit of holacracy. Are you familiar with the holacracy movement or? Yeah, familiar yes. with it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so a lot of what you're describing is exactly that, that in the future of work, it's going to be mission. I love, again, your choice of words. It's going to be project-based and really about bringing together really talented people that are agile in thinking and in process and ability to get those missions accomplished. Yeah. And, and that's also going to solve the predicament we have right now in the current world of work where people are bored silly, they're apathetic, they're not engaged. And a lot of what you're describing is going to solve that problem because now it's not going to be repetitive tasks. The robots are going to take care of that. It's going to be what you're describing, these exciting missions. So I love your choice of words. Continue. Go ahead. Go, go ahead. Yeah, no, no, absolutely, absolutely agree with you. And I think part of it, you touched on this, this idea of people being bored in jobs that they feel stuck in. Mm -hmm. I think that's, again, a place, another one of the working principles we use is this idea of built at the intersection of yes and, not either or. Yes. And I think that shows up in that, in that we've ended up again in this dynamic where we think the future, okay, so if we're not going to be able to predict things, everything is going to be chaos. I actually don't think that's the case. Right. And when you actually dig into, for example, the literature around agility and agile work and agile organizations, mm -hmm. what it says is 
the most agile and successful organizations, they combine speed with stability. Yes. And so you need, and so the way I see that come to life practically is imagine these large organizations that do have hundreds and thousands and tens of thousands of employees. Mm -hmm. One option might be what I call a work marketplace, mm -hmm. right? And so you pre-qualify and you go through all the background checks. You're now an, a, a qualified employee, but maybe you're 60% full-time. You have access to uh, all the benefit packages, and then you pick up the other 40% on an internal work yes. marketplace. Yes. So again, the extremes, I don't think needs to be either a full-time job or full gig where I have no predictability. I think Agreed. we can increasingly have these solutions in between where there's some stability and then flexibility on top of that to pursue passions, interests, and emerging uh, opportunities. I agree with you. Um, a client of mine, Gartner, calls it bimodal. And so exactly what you're describing. So bimodal is you've got that stability of structure and then you've got the flexibility to create and innovate around the structure. So again, just loving this because everything you're saying, I'm like, oh, I love this guy. He's, you're just, you're right on it. So um, what do you think about robots? What do you think about robots and AI and how is that gonna shape the future of work? Because again, people are afraid. You know, especially people that are in jobs that are repetitive and they should be afraid because robots are taking their jobs. But a lot of research, I wrote a white paper on if robots are the future of work, what does it mean for humans? And I found a lot of research that says actually there's going to be more jobs created. And so I'd love to hear your take on that, please. Yeah, and Cheryl, I'd love to um, read your white paper after this uh, to, to see what your insights on this were. So I've been thinking about that question a lot. I think, mm -hmm. you know, on a, on a couple of fronts uh, in our work, what we come across is one, it is clearly a really helpful narrative for media to tell stories over and over about how the world's going to blow up, right? Right, right? And I understand that and I get that. Yeah. I think we do at some point need to move past that, and you mentioned this, and then ask the question of, Okay, if the default option is we'll lose all jobs and everybody, then yes. what are we going to do about it? And right. what are we going to create as, as alternatives? Right. I, think it, I think a couple of other nuances that often get missed in talking about this. One is a lot of reports do this bit of kind of wash out of, oh, don't worry, a bunch of jobs will get created, a bunch of jobs lost, we'll be okay generally. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, my thoughts, one, is I don't actually think the rate of job elimination will be matched by the rate of job creation by right. robots. I don't think that's actually one-to-one -one equation. Okay. Uh, two, I don't actually think it's as simple as adding up the numbers because you still have a human who ends up going through a really rough transition and might yes. never make it to that new job. Yes, yes. And so yeah. I think what we really need to do is find ways of, you know, we often talk about this Google Maps for the future of work. What if leveraging data about jobs in demand and skills for those exactly. jobs, not degrees, not, you know, not educational yep. or number of years of experience, but about skills. Yep. What if you could, for example, say, you know, we use this frame, Cheryl, of head, heart, and hand skills. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm a head person, but my particular head-based job is going out of business, what if you could help me find other head-based professions that are going to be more stable? Mm -hmm. And so this idea pathway mapping and matchmaking between what's your goal, locate where you're starting on the map, and then pathways to go from point A to B. Mm -hmm. And then my final point on this, this idea of not every job is the same. 
Mm -hmm. Right. I think we often talk about programs that get people into jobs, but the reality is there are jobs that are most likely going to be significantly automated. Mm -hmm. uh, there are jobs that are going to be stable and comfortable for just about anyone to be skilled up to. And then there is this, I think, unique small group of jobs that we keep looking at, but very few people are ever going to have those jobs. Right. And it's that middle group of jobs that we need to invest a lot more understanding and getting people bridged over to using a skill-based model. Right. I, I am actually also wondering if, we, if even the word jobs is going to be redundant in the next, right? right. Because I think, um, you know, as a future, you know, my ideal vision of the future is that people are actually doing things they love, yeah. not even jobs, but they're doing things they love because you and I know on Maslow's hierarchy, if we're self-actualized, we're actually creating a better future. And that's yeah. the ultimate goal to me is, is, is really, and not to get too esoteric, but I mean, I really believe as, a, as an evolutionary imperative for the planet, yeah. we must be pursuing these aspirational goals of making the world a better place, which is where the, you know, and I know you're aligned with that. So, so then um, what are some of the skills? You talked about upskilling, reskilling. We, of course, talk about that at Next Mapping as well. Um, I've done a lot of research around education's not actually fast enough to match the needs of where the future's going. So what are, what are some of your thoughts about upskilling, reskilling? What do you think the skills are of the future of work? Yeah, uh, and, you know, for us, our thinking, we often think about it starting at the talent level. So as, as you and I, there are actually three buckets, only one of which skills. So we think of purpose, character, and skills. Mm -hmm. um, and, and, you know, you, you've talked about some of these elements, Cheryl, as well, but that purpose and character are actually distinct from skills. So that the idea of finding a passion, finding your purpose, that needs to be something we double down a lot more on for people. Agreed. Yep. Character as well. Uh, we have a skill-based model of success in society. So if I'm a really good golfer and I'm Tiger Woods, I will be uh, thrown all kinds of money and fame until I fail on character. And then somehow people are surprised that even though we never measured character or we never right. valued character along the way. So right. I think two pillars of the three-legged stool of talent development are purpose and character, and they often get missed. When we talk about skills, uh, our view on it is this idea of a kind of head, heart, and hands. So head is about thinking and problem solving, cognitive skills. There are two types of those skills. They're basic cognitive and then higher cognitive skills. And that matters in terms of what kind of opportunities you're going to go after. Heart is about social, emotional, communication, collaboration skills. And then hands is about technical and hard skills. Mm -hmm. and, and our view is really understanding rather than, uh, you know, if you think of Sheldon from, uh, yeah, Big Bang, Big from Bang. Big Bang Theory, <laughs> uh, you know, the Sheldon problem is all of our education and work models assess and select and reward Sheldon. None of us want to work with Sheldon. Right? right, And so we need to shift away from overemphasizing the head and actually balancing out to say we need the head, the heart, and the hands, and each of us bring different strengths. It's a matter of best matching those strengths to A, opportunities, as you mentioned, and yeah. then to teams and others that you work with. I love what you're saying. I mean, oftentimes when I'm, uh, you know, presenting on, on, on future of work, I talk about, you know, we can have that we've actually had an academic reward system. So if you have your PhD, you're somehow smarter than everybody else, but you could be lacking character and, and all, you know, so that's, we're on the same page. And again, I love your language. Your language is just so, um, uh, rich and good and, and, and very well done. So thank you for giving me that thank perspective. And, and our listeners, I'm sure, are just jazzed, will be jazzed when they hear this because you're giving a context around that's very simple. So, um, you know, rather than 
in, you know, invite further complexity. Uh, the future is about simplifying, and that's I love that your language and your direction is so simple. So let's get a couple more uh, uh, questions from you because you've got some really great insights. Um, you have a blog post on your website on future of skills, and you say coding isn't the answer. Um, talk a little bit more about this because, again, I think that's sort of a, 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 an adjunct to what we just talked about. So share a little bit more about why you think coding isn't the answer for the future. Yeah, I, uh, I, I had some interesting responses to that, to that piece, Cheryl. I think for, for me, my, the view on that is it's getting hyped a lot as we should teach everybody to code. And Canada, literally, we've invested in a program to teach every single person to code through schooling um, as, a, as a government. And my view is, A, if you actually look at automation trends, coding is one of the things that is most uh, best fits the profile of the activity that can be automated. Right, right. So yes, of course, we're going to need a lot of coders over the next five to 10 years, but part of their coding job is going to be coding programs yeah, that yeah. automate coding. To, um, replace, to replace them, yeah. basically. Yeah. 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 And then secondly, I actually think there are higher order skills that matter significantly more, both in terms of the individual success and our collective success as communities and societies. So digital literacy is a level above coding. And I think it's very different to focus on digital literacy than just to teach oh, coding. Very good. Yeah. And then more broadly, media, digital, social, technological literacies mm -hmm. are significantly important in today's day and age. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, above that, you get to the frame we just talked about earlier of a much broader character, purpose, and skill framework for us to look mm -hmm. at. But I just think it's, it's a low order skill that is with a high propensity to get automated. So I don't quite get the significant hype of everyone learning to code as the necessary ne next thing. Yeah, so it's interesting because my perspective on that is, again, what you said earlier, it's about media. Media grabs onto something and, and that's sort of like a, and it became sexy because it was girls can code. Uh, it sort of got tied into the whole women equality discussion. And so yeah. I think that's where, but I think it goes back to what you said earlier around the either or thinking or yes and thinking. So what I interpreted that blog post was yes and and that's exactly that's really yeah. what I heard you say. So, so further to that, can you share more about your big three big questions and what are you hoping they inspire? You have three big questions uh, that was also on your website, and what are you hoping they'll inspire for for people? Yeah, all of our work uh, rooted in these three questions about life, organizations, and societies, and I think those are the three big things. Anything we do comes down to those, which is mm -hmm. how am I going to become my best self? How do we re transform organizations to thrive? And then how do we build societies and change systems to build a better world? And I think for us, those ultimately become North Stars. So if we can keep our eyes on those are the questions we're solving for, in the work we do will hopefully become a lot more urgent in our approach a lot more practical in our creations and a lot more humble in realizing that it's not just about us having changed the world today, that these big questions are going to take generations. We're just playing our part to get there. Yeah, it's all part of the legacy, but I yeah. love them because I love that they're how questions because they're also accountability questions, which means yeah. we've got to do something about it. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. So before I let you go, what are some ways that our listeners can partner with you or what are some things you're looking for, uh, you know, to help drive your vision for the future forward? How can we help you? 
Yeah, uh, I think uh, I often say the biggest thing that we look for is seeing others like you, Cheryl, and others who are actively pursuing this idea of creating radically different versions of the future. Mm -hmm. So we'd love to hear from them and learn about how they are doing that. Uh, and, you know, more specifically, perhaps in some of our current work, we are doubling down quite a bit, one around future of work and learning, and mm -hmm. two around future uh, of technology and humanity. So if either of those areas that are of particular interest to your listeners, uh, would love to hear from them as well. Wonderful. And how can we get a hold of you if we want to, to follow up to this interview? Yeah, so audaciousfutures.co. All the information is on there in terms of contact information. Fantastic. Well, Hamuna, it's just been an honor for me. I mean, I could talk to you for hours because we're so aligned with, with how we see the future. Um, and I know our listeners are grateful too. So thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Likewise, sir. Really appreciate you having me on and uh, all the best. Speak to you soon. Take care. <laughs>